we're going to dig into the topic of angels, who they are and what they do, and why they are so significant. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. Today we've got another episode in our series that I call Storylines. It's about people, places, and things that show up repeatedly in the Bible and that have special significance and meaning. Our storyline for today is angels. If you try to picture an angel in your mind, what does that angel look like for you? Maybe it's a bright, white-robed figure with two wings on its back. Or maybe a cute, chubby Cupid baby carrying around a bow and arrow. Or maybe something else. Artists of old and graphic designers of today have tried to capture images of angels on canvas and in digital media. For the fun of it, I did a web search to find images of angels. Would you believe that there is a website that has more than 940,000 different images under the category of angels? 940,000! When people say that human beings have a fascination with angels, I think that might be an understatement. Really? This just blows my mind. And in looking through a few pages on that website, it occurred to me that the vast majority of those images don't even reflect how the Bible pictures angels. But we'll get to that in a bit. I want to start with the actual word angel. It means messenger and occurs by my count 290 times in the Bible, 229 of those in the Old Testament and 61 in the New. Also, and this is key, the word angel is used in two different ways in the Bible. One way is to describe the angels that God created. The other way is to describe God himself. Let me explain. In the Old Testament, there is a special phrase about one particular angel. It shows up 50 times. That phrase is, the angel of the Lord. In the Old Testament, when the phrase, the angel of the Lord is used, Either the context or the actual text tells us that this is no ordinary angel. This angel is the messenger of Yahweh. And what does a messenger do? Messengers speak words. So think about this. The messenger of Yahweh speaks the words of Yahweh. Now hold that thought. In the New Testament, in John's Gospel account of Jesus' life and ministry, he wrote in the very first verse, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A few verses later he wrote, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word in John chapter 1 is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So, do you see a connection here 
between the word in John chapter 1 and the messenger of the Lord? I think there's a connection. In the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is the Son of God, the Word. I should also mention that a similar yet different phrase occurs 11 times in the New Testament. It's the phrase, an angel of the Lord. Note the the difference, though. Old Testament, it's the angel of the Lord. New Testament, an angel of the Lord. As I looked at the context of these 11 New Testament occurrences, it seems pretty clear that in the New Testament, an angel of the Lord isn't referring to God, but to one of the created angels. But hey, why don't you check it out for yourself and let me know if you come to a different conclusion. That's all I'm going to say about the angel of the Lord. Let's focus the rest of our time on the created angels. And that's probably a good place to start, namely that the angels were created by God. The Apostle Paul makes that clear in his letter to the Colossians. In chapter 1, he wrote, For in him, and the, the him is the Son of God, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The inspired writer makes it clear that angels were part of God's creating activity. A more difficult question, however, is when were they created? Because the Bible doesn't specifically mention it. But there are some clues. Our first clue is from Exodus 20. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Everything that was created was created in six days. Here's our second clue. Job 38. God was questioning Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. So we know that the angels witness God creating the earth's foundations. The angels were created before the earth was formed, and certainly before human life was created. When God created the angels, he created them as spirit beings. The writer of the book of Hebrews, in quoting Psalm 104, wrote, He makes his angels spirits, and his servants flames of fire. A few verses later, the author wrote, Are not all angels ministering spirits? Spiritual beings don't have a physical body. Yet often in the Bible, we see angels taking on the physical form of a human being. In a sense, they are shape-shifters. One example is the three visitors who came to visit Abraham and Sarah to tell them the good news that within a year they would have a son. One of the three visitors was the Lord God himself, and the other two were angels. We learn that Abraham and Sarah prepared a meal for the three visitors, and they ate it. Not something you think spiritual beings would do, but they did. Then we learn that the two angels left and went down to the wicked city of Sodom to tell Abraham's nephew Lot and his family 
to leave the city because they were going to destroy it. Another example, and probably the most well-known, of angels taking on physical form was on Easter morning when two angels greeted the women who had come to finish the burial preparations for Jesus. It was one of the angels who spoke those most wonderful words, He is not here. He has risen. Forty days later, when Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples stood there and continued to stare up into the sky. Two angels appeared next to the disciples and asked them why they were staring up into heaven. And then they shared a short message with the disciples. Just as you have seen him go into heaven, one day you will see him come back. There are many other examples in the Bible of angels appearing to people in a physical form. Recall the angel visits to announce the birth of John the Baptist to Zechariah and the birth of Jesus to Mary. Or the angel who removed his chains and led the Apostle Peter out of a Jerusalem prison. You know, one of my favorite passages about the appearance of angels is in Hebrews. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Imagine if that ever happened to you. Although angels often appeared as human beings, other times they didn't. In Isaiah's prophecy, there is an angel classification, or we could call it a group of angels, known as seraphim, plural for seraph. Seraphim are only mentioned twice in the Bible. Here in a vision, Isaiah sees these seraphim serving in the presence of God's throne within the temple. They are calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Each seraphim is described as having six wings, two wings to cover the face, two to cover the feet, and two for flying. You can read about the seraphim in Isaiah chapter 6. In the book of Ezekiel, we meet another group of angels. They're called cherubim, plural for cherub. They are mentioned much more frequently in the Bible, 33 times. Cherubim had multiple faces, and not always the same number of faces. Ezekiel saw cherubim with four faces, that of a man, ox, lion, and eagle. Another time he saw cherubim, again with four faces, this time a cherub face instead of an ox, along with the faces of a human being, lion, and eagle. Yet another time he saw just two faces, that of a man and that of a lion. We learn in chapter 1 of Ezekiel that cherubim had four wings, with hands underneath the wings, legs that were straight, and feet like those of a calf. But the most interesting thing about cherubim are the wheels, yes, wheels, that accompanied the cherubim wherever they went. The description brings to mind for me a, a gyroscope, and I don't really know a good way to describe these wheels other than that. You'll just have to read about them in Ezekiel chapter 1. In general, cherubim guarded things. For example, after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden for their disobedience, God positioned a cherub with a flaming sword. Think Star Wars lightsaber. 
And he was positioned at the entrance of the garden so that the couple couldn't return to eat of the tree of life. Cherubim also supported God's throne. The Old Testament describes God as being enthroned above the cherubim. Now that's another image that's hard to describe. These images of angels are pretty amazing. And won't it be great to see all of this for ourselves one day? So how many angels are there? Simply put, they're too numerous to count. The psalmist David wrote in Psalm 68, The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The phrase chariots of God is another description of angels used in the Bible. Which leads me to think, chariots have wheels. Maybe that's what the wheels are that Ezekiel saw. But I just don't know. Another passage that described the number of angels is in the New Testament in Hebrews 12. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. We don't know specifically how many angels there are. There's just a lot of them. Of the thousands of angels, the Bible tells us the name of just three. Gabriel, Michael, and the fallen angel, Satan. Gabriel is mentioned three times in the Bible. The first time is when he visited Daniel. Daniel wrote, While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. It was also Gabriel who made the birth announcements to Zechariah and to Mary. Next is the angel, actually the archangel, Michael, who is also mentioned three times in the Bible, in Daniel, in Jude, and in Revelation. In Daniel's vision of the last days, Michael is referred to as the great prince. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. There's a similar description of Michael in Revelation chapter 12. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. There is an ongoing spiritual battle between the angels of Michael and the angels of Satan. That conflict will intensify as we approach the last day. The third reference to Michael in the book of Jude is a bit strange. The context here is of Jude warning his readers not to slander heavenly things. A couple of examples of this kind of slander would, would be to ridicule truths of the Bible like creation, miracles, angels, Jesus' substitutionary death, his resurrection, or his coming again on the last day. In this section of Scripture, Jude gives the example of Michael. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him, condemn Satan, for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. 
Now, if there's anyone who deserves to be condemned, it's Satan for his lies and deception. And yet the archangel Michael doesn't do it. He doesn't condemn Satan. He leaves the condemnation up to God. By the way, what's this disputing between Michael and the devil over the body of Moses? Bible scholars aren't entirely sure. We know that Moses died on Mount Nebo before the Israelites crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And we also know that God himself buried Moses in a location that nobody knew about. So did Satan want this place to be known? Did he want to go dig up the body? Or did this have something to do with Moses being resurrected to appear with Jesus and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration? Or is it something else? We just don't know. The third angel mentioned by name is the fallen angel Satan. Jude also had something to say about Satan and his angels. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these God has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on that great day. There is much more to say about Satan and his evil angels, but we'll save that for another time. But if you want to learn more about Satan, I wrote a short book about the powers of the dark side. It's entitled, Give Satan the Credit He is Due. It's available in the Time of Grace store at timeofgrace.org. I don't think we've fully explored the question yet of for what purpose were the angels created. Now, this might be an oversimplification, but I think the Bible tells us about two main purposes of angels. The angels were created to serve God and to serve us. There are several Bible references that seem to sum up these two purposes. Revelation chapter 5 says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Angels were created to serve and worship God. In the Apostle Peter's first letter, <clears throat> in writing about baptism, he addressed the relationship between Jesus and the angels. He said, it, he's talking about baptism, it, baptism, saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. All angels submit to Christ. The second purpose of angels is explained in the verse from Hebrews 1 that we looked at earlier. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? The angels were also created to serve us. One way they do it is described in Psalm 91. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Angels serve God and God's people. With angels being these amazing spiritual beings, there have been some religious people in history claiming to be Christians who have worshipped angels. 
This was happening already in the New Testament first century. The Apostle Paul addressed this in his letter to the Christians living in Colossae. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great deal about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Followers of Jesus are not to worship angels. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation witnessed in the presence of an angel some amazing things in heaven's throne room. John wrote about what he then did and what the angel's reaction was. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he, the angel, said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Angels are fellow servants of God with us and are not to be worshipped. I find it interesting that there are a number of characteristics of angels that give us a bit of insight into their thought process, their interests, and their emotions. These characteristics indicate that angels aren't just robots with a computer program chip in their wing. Recall the Jude passage that we mentioned earlier about the angels who didn't keep their positions of authority and rebelled against God? It tells us that angels were created with the ability to exercise their own will. Unfortunately, Satan exercised his will and became an enemy of God and of all of God's people. Also, a few minutes ago, we heard about the angel Gabriel coming to see Daniel. Well, that was in response to Daniel's prayer in which he asked God for mercy upon his people and for the city of Jerusalem where God's people had once worshipped Yahweh prior to the exile in Babylon. Gabriel came to provide some instruction to Daniel, an answer to his prayer. Gabriel said, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. This is a section of scripture which points to angels having knowledge and wisdom. Another characteristic of angels is that they have an interest in the affairs of human beings, and they express emotions in doing so. For example, in Daniel chapter 10, the archangel Michael comes to Daniel and says, Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. Or recall those words in the book of Job where the angels shouted for joy as God laid the earth's foundation. Or perhaps you remember the words of Jesus. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's another interesting passage in Peter's first letter. He was writing about the Old Testament prophets looking to the future regarding the salvation plan that God had promised. And this is what he wrote. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you, 
by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And here's the key sentence. Even the angels long to look into these things. In the Old Testament, even the angels were longing to understand God's plan of saving the people of this world. So, angels exercise their will, they have wisdom and knowledge, they have emotions, and they have an interest in the followers of Christ and the plans of God. To wrap this up, I just want to mention a couple of other facts about angels without going into detail. Angels were created to live for eternity. In other words, angels don't die. Angels don't marry or have offspring of their own. Angels have the ability to fly and travel from place to place with great speed, but they aren't able to be present everywhere like God is. And angels are powerful, but not as powerful as our God. Angels, it's one of the Bible's storylines, a Bible thread that is both interesting to us, but also very comforting in that they are there to serve us. If you'd like to explore some additional videos on angels from our other Time of Grace speakers, we've got quite a few of them. To watch them, go to youtube.com slash timeofgrace. And if you have any thoughts or questions about this podcast on angels, please email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. Thanks for listening. Join me next time for another episode in our Bible Thread series entitled Storylines. God bless.